I got asked to be in the Tom of Finland fashion show. Oh. So they asked if I, if I could grow a mustache. If you and, could have the obligatory mustache. Yeah. And I was like, well, in tradition, I guess I should try. Hello and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to leather families. I am your co-host, Sarah Tomchesson, and I am here with my audacious companion co-host, Robin. How are you doing? I'm, you know, I'm doing pretty good. What's going on right now that's giving you some fuck yeah in your life? So, uh, you know, it's been years, literally years, since I have not uh, ingested weed in some way on a daily basis. Okay. I'm going on a big trip. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be gone for five weeks where I will have no access to weed. Amazing. And I need that break. And in preparation for that break, I have been leading up to it, having one more sober day each week. Until I get up to five sober days. Have you gotten up to five? Okay, so let me tell you how it went. Okay. The first week where I had to do one teeny tiny day of no weed, I was terrified. Oh. And I was having thoughts that I consciously knew were incorrect. But I was having thoughts like, if I don't have the weed, then what do I have? I have nothing. And so I was scared. Yeah, that's so intense how substances Mm -hmm. can can like develop that relationship or like if I don't have alcohol, I'll never have fun again. Yes. Yes. Oh, really? Um, What is it called? Um, Not disaster thoughts. um, Catastrophic. (laughs) So um, then I but I did it. Okay. And then the second week I did two days, no weed. And I did them in a row. And the first day I was still in this mindset of, I can't do it, um, but I'm just going to do it. And I was upset that day. I was upset the second day, but I did it. And I was fairly proud of myself. The third week I had to do three days. And again, I, I don't know why I do them all in a row. I did them all in a row. Okay. First day I was like, eh, whatever, you know, fine. So it's not going to be the best, but I'll get through it. And the second day I was like, all right. I only got one more day to go. And then the third day, I was like feeling pretty good. You know, it's really amazing the power of threes. Like whenever I do a juice cleanse, this is like exactly my progression. Mm -hmm. Except I get mad. I think maybe beforehand I'm a little scared, but for the most part, I then just kind of get pissy. I mean, I think I was pissy. Why am I doing this to myself? Okay, I know why I'm doing this. This is because I need it to feel refreshed in my body. And then, you know, the second day, I'm just like kind of tired and sad. And then by the third day, I'm like, ooh. I am in a group. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah, the power of threes. And then I did last week I did four days. Uh-huh. And congrats. At, thank you. And at that point it felt like a little bit um, I was like, kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> but I can get through it, you know. And today I I have decided I I'm probably not gonna do five days this week. I I yeah, and we're leaving next week. And I'm kind of like, well. Five days 
now that I've gotten to this point, and I will say I'm on day three of no weed and, um, and I have one more tomorrow and maybe I'll do Friday, but I love a Friday weed thing. Mm. And I feel, and the reason why, and maybe this is still addiction talking, but the reason why I feel comfortable with four is because now I'm comfortable with four, mm. you know, and five to me, I'm, I feel like I'm doing more days off than I'm doing on. And five to me just feels a little excessive. <laughs> I think but are I, you getting clarity? Like, does it feel okay. like you have some clarity? Yes. Yeah. I, I was getting imagine. lost in the fog. Okay. And yeah. my brain is way less foggy. I'm so glad you're doing that. And I got a, a nice space of still recognizing that I can feel good without my crutch that I've had for so long. Yeah. And, but I will tell you, Last Friday, when I did the four days, and then <laughs> Friday, I got to smoke weed. It was a weed party. Can you imagine when you get back from your trip? Wow. Oh, it's <laughs> like, I don't know. If you if you pick us up, you might have to bring some in the car. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think like it's just, it'll be a party. And that's like the thing that I think is kind of detrimental about having to consciously take the days off and then have the days on. Because when I have the days on, it's like balls to the wall, weed, weed, weed all day. But I really enjoy it then rather than it being like a crutch. So what I would like to do when I get back is somehow be able to have the self-control. I will have five weeks of no weed. That has not happened since the last time we went to France three years ago. That's the only time that it yeah, happens. Or when I was pregnant family. and breastfeeding. Right. I right, didn't right, do right, it then. Right, right. But I wasn't as like in the mire then either. It was a lot easier to give up because it was still recreational for me rather than like habitual medicate self-medication. You know, I think that that's a really nice distinction that you're making though, that there's like this balance of recreational versus habitual yeah because I get this way with drinking wine sometimes too where I'm like oh I am just doing this out of habit yeah. and when that when I reach that point I'm like oh whoa 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 okay I need to take a step back mm -hmm. because that becomes a slippery slope that's a slippery slope and then also the idea of I something happened my day's not going well. Something triggering happened to me. I need this, this is now my tool to, for coping. Yes, yes. my yeah. coping tool. And that's where I'm at habitual coping with weed. And I'm not in the space where I need massive coping anymore because of a variety of things going on in all of our lives and mine in particular. And I'm ready to start like being more interactive and intentional with my life mm. and putting weed back in this beautiful recreation box yeah. that used to be in. So that's my big hope leading up to this big trip to be able to come back and be like, weed, I still love you. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm going to make it without you. Yeah. Make it without <laughs> you. We have a nice, not codependent relationship. I yeah. want it to be my fun friend I see on the weekend that's nice the, you know the lack of codependence with the substances yeah I like that oh congrats thank you amazing <laughs> uh well I'm really excited as always about who we're interviewing today mm -hmm. we have pony coming in your pony folklore salon of cruise of uh I mean what like Pony's involved in so many things in the leather community, yes. is a trans masculine person who really is, you know, I mean, 
you'd say a leather daddy, right? I mean, I guess maybe yeah. we need to ask Pony. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. And it, yeah, a pony's really someone when they walk into a room, you notice Pony. Mm-hmm. And I and I noticed him in a very like I'm, I just get like a glowy, fuzzy Vaseline kind of lens for <laughs> Pony. So he's a dear friend. Yeah. Pony. And just a really fascinating person. Yep. He's letting a completely unique life. Um, and, and I'm really looking forward to talking with him about it. Yeah, let's do it. Hi, Pony. Welcome. Oh, it's so nice to have you here. <laughs> Live and in the flesh. Well, all right. We're going to just ask you a bunch of real quick questions. Don't overthink it. Okay. Just to warm up. Yeah. Yeah. Get you, get you all lubricated. <laughs> what was the last podcast you listened to? I think it was Risk. What is that? I haven't heard of it. Risk is uh, people just telling stories about themselves. Um, usually have to do with like some type of sexual nature or embarrassing moment and, you know, uh, you know, or a closeted thing they come out with, or, you know, just, it's like risky, risque, all of it. Oh, I gotta write that down to listen to that. Yeah. I think, I think, um, there's several people in the queer community that uh, have contributed to it. And and then, and then there was another podcast called body. Mm -hmm. Uh Like body storytelling. Yeah. 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 and then they're kind of like, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, Body like B-A-W-D-Y. Yeah. I love nice. that. Um, What's the last photo on your phone? It's actually whatever I could capture from the pool. Oh, amazing. A big queer pool party yeah. photo. That's great. Who was your first celebrity crush? I'm going to say Madonna. Yes. That. Which Madonna? Like, of course, I mean, we're talking vintage. Madonna. Right, right. You know, 80s before, Madonna. Before she was Buddhist, before she was British. Right. Um, <laughs> before, know. before she was like quarantine TikToking. Yeah, I think during the first album, um, that was one of my favorites. Like heavily accessorized. Madonna. Yeah, heavily accessorized, um, you know, hairy Bleach armpit. Hair. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You know, mesh gloves. Yes. Uh, you know. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, she didn't really know how to sing. Yeah, but we it loved it. But her matter. energy, it, her energy was, it was just, that energy. Not it did yeah. not matter. Uh, what was your first mode of masturbation? My first mode of masturbation, um, probably uh, in a closet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I feel like that has a lot of different meanings. No, no, it was in a closet. Um, and I threw myself on top of boots, actually. Like, wow. It, so I, there was leather involved. Yes, I had this thing about like being confined and like ugh, like binding myself, and I didn't really have the understanding. But I remember the boot like rubbing against my business, and then it was really kind of hot. Okay, all right. So, uh, so many questions. So the <laughs> the closet was not about privacy; it was no. about confinement. It was about confinement. Was it about darkness? Yes. And it was also about the boots that were in the closet. I think I I don't think I knew that then. Yeah. I think the confinement was that nobody could see me and I could just be me. Right. And I could what I can swim in whatever fantasy was in my head. Yeah. Um. And I didn't really have walls, so to speak. In my yeah. Mind. How old were you? Do you think? Um. I was probably like, like seven. Wow. 
Oh my gosh. I, it makes so much sense. Yes. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So Pony, um, I have so many questions for you. I was just excited to pick your brain. Okay. Um, So I feel like there's a lot of spaces that you occupy that in traditional kind of culture are attributed towards like cis men, like, uh, you know, barbering and, um, and like leather spaces. Your, your partner was the first, uh, trans Mr. Uh, leather LA. Is that right? Yeah. It was, uh, Mr. Precinct. Mr. Precinct. And then moved on to um, L.A. Leather. Yeah. And from L.A. Leather went to IML, which is an international title. Yeah. So, and then got top 20. Wow. Yeah. That's a thing. That's a big deal. So what, um, what is it like as like a trans person to be in these kind of spaces? Like, how does that, how do you occupy those spaces? I mean, you do it like seemingly with such ease and you definitely like belong in these spaces, but it's also, you know, a kind of pioneering. Revolutionary. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that like originally I felt like I belonged in these space- spaces. Mm-hmm. I felt like I just, I just loved to be around these spaces. Yeah. Like, I love mm-hmm. to be in, in bar settings and, uh, you know, amongst other folks and, and I think it just took some time to, you know, acclimate for myself, you know, because coming from a like dyke perspective into now a transmasculine form, mm-hmm. you know, it, you're, you're not, you're not forgetting about, well, at least for myself, I didn't forget like the uh, incidences that had brought me there prior, you know, and the 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 phobias that I'd seen mm-hmm. or the misogyny that I had witnessed within the leather community and also this kind of elitism yeah you know mm-hmm. um and now I think for me it was also like proving a point that I'm not just a uh a person that is uh, a temporary piece of the community mm-hmm. I'm I'm here mm. and um you're taking up your space I'm taking up my space and I'm not in any hurry. Like I'm just doing my thing. And I feel that I've earned the respect of people I had no idea that I even had. Yeah. Like it's pretty like I'm like, whoa. You know, I mean, the Eagle honored me with a vest, hmm. which wow. was the like, I think the second vest they only gave out to anybody who is not um a title holder. I'm not a title holder. Wow. And that's because of I, my involvement in the community, my um, and how I just kind of bring people together. Yeah. Do you identify as a leather daddy? <laughs> I yeah. feel like that's been given to me. I mean, I think no, of you that sure, way. Because, you know, I didn't necessarily meet you as a leather daddy. No. But I feel like if I met you now, I'd be like, no, pony's a serious pony's daddy. Serious. <laughs> yeah. And I know you hate the mustache. I love the mustache oh. so much. Okay, wait, well, let's let's sidebar on the mustache for a second. What is happening with the mustache? I got asked to be in the Tom of Finland fashion show. Oh. So they asked if I, if I could grow a mustache. If you and, could have the obligatory mustache. Yeah, and I was like, well, in tradition, I guess I should try. And I was like, this is, and it's driving me crazy, but. You don't love it? I, I have mixed feelings about it. Say more. Um, I don't want to feel it like my dad. Ooh. I don't want to feel like my brother. 
that's such a universal, like for me, it's like, I, yeah. I had a hard time for a long time having brown hair because I look so much like my mom. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Like, and I, and I, I think like there's also dad. that, like I have it facial hair. It's, it's such a masculine thing. Yeah. And I just feel like a fraud. Why? Why is that in particular the thing? I, it's not, I don't want it to be a focal point, you know? Okay. So this, this gets to my question about leather daddy. Cause the other term that came up for me, as you were just talking about kind of immersing yourself in particularly leather spaces mm-hmm. is that it's been gradual and that you're like dyke heritage is something that you carry with you. So like, I think of you as still very feminist. Oh, oh yeah. And like a feminist leather dad. I mean, that's just the dream, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's it's a balance and it actually I love it because it it makes me more aware of my privilege. Mm, that it, you occupy now. That I occupy now. And I'm a believer that no matter what privilege you have, if you're not using it to better a community or a situation or a person, then it's right. kind of pointless. Yeah. It's only self-serving. It's only self-serving. So, so what does being a leather daddy mean to you? I feel that it's a position I've actually had to earn. Mm-hmm. That I didn't wake up one day and I'm like, oh, I'm daddy today. <laughs> like, um, I think that I'm becoming the the masculine figure that I never got to see. Yeah. Near and body. Yeah. 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 Um, that I can still be sensitive and I could still be nurturing and I could still be loving and I could still be hard. Yeah. You know? So that that took some time to kind of make peace with. Do you uh we had a conversation a long time ago and you said, I'm really sad I don't cry anymore. Are you able to cry again? I well it depends on my hormones. Like it depends yeah. on my hormone dose. Um but sometimes like I go off hormones just so that I can. And then, you know, that and the 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 anti-anxiety pill what are tears what are tears but I if I'm not able to cry I'm definitely I allow myself to like physically feel that yeah because I do physically feel it I do feel a lot of emotion um it just doesn't squirt out of your eyes it just doesn't (laughs) squirt out of my eyes (laughs) I'm interested um to know more about your analysis of privilege as your transition has um has progressed like what do you what what privileges do you find that you have that are different i feel that what i think amongst like masculine space the some women that i'm with or afab folks get tend to get overlooked mm-hmm. and um or people address me instead of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mm-hmm. I, you know, it's always, it's always, it's always, you know, kind of like a little friendly nudge where I'm like, Hey, have you met so-and-so? Oh yeah. You know, like, or, you know, and they're just kind of like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but, um, but I don't know. Um, but I'm, you know, there's it's, outside of masculinity, there's other things that I wear. I'm a Brown person. Yeah. I'm a modified person. Mm-hmm. So and I've, for some reason, have been able to determine the things that people look at when they look at me. Yeah. You know, is it the brown thing? Is it the modified thing? Based on how they respond to you. By the, by the way mm-hmm. they respond to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or that they can't really seem to figure out my sexuality or they see my scars and they're just trying to like, you know, 
but yeah, that, that takes some time to, to figure out as well. And I'm sure adjust to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm living in a city. You kind of just, you just, I don't know. You just acclimate to a lot of things. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of responses, the things that you roll off your shoulders, you know, you kind of pick and choose, you know, what hill you want to die on. And it also helps you find your people. I think, you oh, know, yeah. there's our aesthetic and a lot of our aesthetic has to do with signaling and symbolism and things like that. And like for me, for example, when I look at you, I'm just like, fuck yeah. Like, <laughs> it does it for me so much. Like your aesthetic hits it hard for me, mm. including the mustache. Including like just ups it a little bit. You know, I'm mustache, you know, yeah, yeah. friendly. Yeah. Uh, more than friendly. <laughs> Must, mustache attracted. So anyway, um, I, I hear that. And because sometimes I have a, a similar thing of like, what is this person reading? Or even like what somebody calls me. You know, if it's going to be Mary or Robin, it's like, oh, well, I know where you're coming from and what you know about me, yeah. you know, yeah, little things like that. And it's just, uh, it's very, it's, it's interesting well, how I, we're perceived. Because we, I think we've lived so many lives. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's so many layers to us as people that it's it just like one word does not even like begin yeah. to, you know, it just adds to the puzzle that we are. Yeah. You have a leather family. Uh-huh. Like kind of a nuclear leather family in some way. Wait, what is nuclear? Well, like you have a leather family contained under one roof. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So I'm curious how that develops. Um, and what your dynamics are. I'm curious about also like how the family operates. Who has what roles? Well. Or are there clearly defined yeah, roles? They are defined roles. Okay. Um, I mean, usually a leather family, it's like, here's yeah, the roles, we're, y'all. Yeah. We're, we're, it started with having a, you know, a sub um, and this person, Yossi, um, it became like, let's try this period out. But you were already married at this point. Yeah. You yeah. had a primary partner. Yes. Um, so I found out very early in our relationship that uh, my spouse is a very, very good bottom, but a lousy submissive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you still needed that. And I still needed that. I needed that okay. type of dynamic, okay. whether I was subbing, but I had subbed for mistress for a while. And, you know, I feel as, as now that she's my mentor and still my mistress, it, I'm still, I, I still, I'm still, I'm still, I, I'm still on my knees for her, mm-hmm. like all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I you had a her. pretty high standard. I had a very, very high standard. Looks like what it looked like. Okay, and and real yeah. quick for our listeners, can you describe the difference for you between bottoming and subbing in this situation? Bottoming is uh, whether it's sexually or um, in a you know BDSM um, scene, is someone who is. Uh, taking the impact or receiving um and uh being submissive is more of like a spiritual and emotional Mm. um release you you submit all and it's 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 built on a lot of trust yeah that's beautifully put which is why when yossi and i became uh when we connected i wanted to make sure that we were walking on the same path and it took us i think three contracts to figure that out he was reserved and then I was reserved, you know, and because I'm working with a, with, through my marriage, making sure that we are constantly 
communicating that, you know, not leaving him out, not leaving Elliot out, or if Elliot wanted to participate or what. It took a while for everybody to kind of like adapt. And so what does it look like now? Well, real quick, Yossi's submission is primarily to you. To me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He does submit to Elliot, but I feel like Elliot's more the discipline. Uh-huh. And I am more like the um, the emotional support, hmm. and I'm more the the vanilla date person. Elliot doesn't have room for that. <laughs> I love it. You know? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I I'm curious. I do want to know sort of what the current structure is, but I'm also curious. Like, you knew that this was something that you needed, and so how did that negotiation go with your partner, with Elliot, when you were like? I like the every there's so many synchronicities here. This is so great. And I also need this level of submission. And that's going to require another person coming in. That's going to require another person coming in. I think it was understanding the parameters with our relationship. Yeah. Because we weren't necessarily open. Yeah. You know, and then there was a little bit of concerns of like, what if this relationship turns sexual or romantic? Right. And it was very clear that like, no matter what, that that I wasn't going to substitute my lack of my relationship mm-hmm. in my my marriage with this other entity or this other person, you know? Um, so it was a lot. It was a lot to navigate. And it was also just making sure that everybody was on the same page um, and not just getting carried away with oneself, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of us t- yeah. do. Like, this is what I want. And this is blah, 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 blah. No, it was like, it was a lot of talks is a lot of quiet moments it was a lot of you know it was a lot of that and um you know it was it was like let's start it not being a sexual thing mm-hmm. and we would just play together mm-hmm. and then you know but let's not outrule that these things can be sexualized yeah um and then i had needs that went beyond just like playing and whatnot so and then elliot was like yeah i think it's I feel fine. Yeah. This relationship is, he's witnessed it to be like helpful to me and helpful mm-hmm. to him. And safe. And safe. Um, And, you know, it's just, it's another partner. Yeah. In the end. Um, and but you all live together now. We all live together. It was the pandemic that actually pulled, pulled the trigger for us <laughs> because, you know, during the pandemic, we were all isolating and Yossi was in his own apartment for the first time in his life. Like he worked, he lived in like, you know, punk co-ops, you know? (laughs) So this is his first like apartment and, you know, and he was, he was kind of like spinning out a little bit. Yeah. Um, And we couldn't see each other. A couple of times we saw each other outside, you know, masked and everything, but we couldn't play. So, you know, we just kind of all kind of hung in there. Yeah. Um, And then we, we eventually pulled him into the pod. You know, we were all potting up. Um, and then uh, our homes were just too small. Like we're like, this is we're going crazy. Let's let's try move and get a spot. And then we found a spot. Um, let's try it for a year. Like these things, we were just kind of. It was like any other contract. Yeah. And then Yossi wanted twenty four seven, not just date nights. He wanted twenty four seven. This is what it looks like, and we had to write that all down. And we're like, okay, you want twenty four seven great this is what the house needs this is what i need you know this is what you need above all things make sure that you meet those things before you 
you know, look at us or the house or whatever, you know? What I love about all this is you really are approaching all aspects of your life uh, with a kink sensibility Mm -hmm. where we talk Mm -hmm. about things, we talk about our needs, we see where it matches up, we make commitments to each other. We have like safety protocols. protocols. So I learned live. <laughs> you live. You live it. You're really live. living it. Yeah. And it's working for you. Yeah. It looks good on you. Don't think. <laughs> yeah. No, it seems like everybody is getting their needs met in that yeah. trifecta, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, I think it's something that so much of us have conditioning around like a nuclear family looking one particular way. And so it can be hard for folks to kind of wrap their head around these different relationship structures and also for it to be 24 seven. Like, I feel like there's a lot more talk about poly like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. But this, this hierarchy still where there is the prioritization of like one primary, like, but you ultimately still want the primary relationship. Right. And you just happen to also want, you know, you're like a greedy, slutty person who wants to fuck a lot of other people. And I'm not saying that that's bad. There's plenty (laughs) of people that that is their sexuality and that's their identity. And it sounds like, what you all have carved out and built is different than that. Yeah, we, really different. We've actually like we've talked to Yossi and actually he's dated in with within our relationship. Mm-hmm. And um he's always nervous to but kind of excited when like, you know, like how do you explain us? Mm-hmm. Because it feels also a disservice to call him my roommate. Oh yeah. <laughs> and he's doing himself a disservice by by calling me his roommate. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what do you say? You say partner? Do you say, you know, my sir? Like, you know, my daddy? Like, yeah, it's you know, like, and it's all who is who's listening to that? Like, what if someone wants a relationship with him? Right. So yeah, yeah. Well, that you know, special snowflake <laughs> might come along. Yeah, everybody needs a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he was definitely our unicorn. Like, yeah, that was unexpected i love seeing the three of you together like i can feel the familyness. i enjoy the dynamics that you guys have um and i really feel like you're carving out a special world for yourself you keep refining your world and refining it you even did it with folklore mm-hmm. of you know i remember you're when we first that. met yeah that you know you're in uh more salons you know the the weirder ones Mm -hmm. you know where you can get whatever kind of haircut or color you want but it wasn't quite the right fit for you and so you made that world happen yeah well also fancy salons in orange county right like that's where you got your start and that's the thing that i think is interesting for people is that they think that they're so defined by the bubble that they live in. But like, if you just look at your progression through not only your professional career, but your personal life, your like um, your role within the kink community, like it does show that like, once you get really clear about what your authentic desires are, mm. who you are, you end up in the right place. Cause someone might, like you might not have been working in the really fancy salon in Orange County thinking that this is where you would end up. But there was something calling you out of that space. Yeah. And you yeah. followed and it. And then you just created, you know, you created folklore, you created this family unit, you know, you've just like paved the way for yourself. Yeah. I Well, thank you for saying that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think I had a lot of guidance from Mistress Melissa in regarding 
how I created my leather family, uh -huh. that little leather bubble. And in some ways, you know, when I created folklore in other areas of my life, I learned from my favorite femmes. Mm. I've never, I, I've never like, I can never take credit for it myself. It's always like, you know, the community that always like kind of supported me or listened to me or just like mirrored something to me that I needed to see mm -hmm. in order for me to shift or to improve or change. So like, um, and that's a, that's like an everyday thing, you know? I'm hearing some through lines coming through of mentorship, like that mm -hmm. that even exists within your own family structure. Something that um, I'm experiencing right now as a queer person, there is a little bit of like a loss of knowledge, passing down of information and experiences. And I understand like each new generation has to come in and kind of like turn the soil and create something new for themselves. For you, you've always been someone who's been really connected to mentorship, to elders. And I, so I'm curious, like who some of those folks are for you and also like what some of the lessons or information or experiences that you are really actively interested in seeing passed on. That is a long question, but if I, yeah. so if I start ranting, Okay, yeah, please, and, please, and please I, write but, it. <laughs> but if I start ranting and I start to kind of lose track of the original whoa, question, whoa. just yeah, yeah, yeah just bring me back in. Yeah. Um, it you know I just recently had uh, dinner with Annie Sprinkle. Oh, which, are you kidding me? Uh, no, no, I, I had dinner with Annie Sprinkle and Beth, and oh. I gotta say, like, I even like, and it, I had to fangirl a little yeah. bit and just tell how did how did how do you know Annie Sprinkle? I'm like, it's like you're telling me that you had a lunch with Madonna. I'm just like, what? <laughs> um uh Castles invited me over for dinner. Castles invited me over for dinner. They were doing a thing together and um they're like, Annie Sprinkle's here. And I was like, <laughs> Annie Sprinkle is the goddess of ecosexuality, the boob prints. A sex, sex work. I mean, she's still creating work. An artist, a creator. She's still creating work. Yeah, and that's yeah. the amazing part about about Annie. And also, I mean, there's a lot of things about Annie, but yeah, I I I really loved having dinner with her because I don't think I don't know if she gets told this often, but I was like, I like you were the first. Like I feel like her and Sherry Rose. Yeah, seeing the videos of them when I was like a little teenager. Mm -hmm like it was like a, it was like a warm hug letting me know that I can be loved yeah that I can be desired yeah and that took a lot yeah to, like Ugh. that femme energy that both of them have I mean it's so different it's yeah. so different it's so different three yeah. so like roses you know me and mommy and Annie Sprinkle is mother earth right yeah, mother earth yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so I was like you know I I was like before the wine kicks in I just need to fucking tell you that oh. and she just looked at me and was like please tell me she enveloped you in her bosom I was I was expecting it and I was hoping for it but COVID okay you know, fair right, 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 right. and she okay, was right. fucking COVID. <laughs> yeah but I did get a picture with her oh so, uh, wow so how did she react though um I think she was didn't expect it, you know. Um, and it was just really nice for her to tell me stories about Fakir oh. and uh, about Ron. And yeah. so it was it, it was I don't know, it was just a really nice evening. Okay. And 
you know, I'm, I'm glad I got to meet her and I'll probably see her again because I was supposed to work with her uh, during Ron's piece that got canceled during Ronnie. Ronnie. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, wow. So, yeah, that was. Oh, yeah. But where uh, are you going with that? I got Ailey Freckle as one of the mentors who's just guided you through her work. Well, she I mean, wrote... I didn't meet her until I was older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But her work definitely made an impact on me as, yeah. as, as a young person. And this is pre-internet, y'all, okay? <laughs> no, but you say you got a hold of Vanilla. <laughs> the same thing happened to me. I got a hold of, like, uh, it's specifically the um, the sick video and some other sh uh, Sherry Rose videos where yeah. it was like, oh, you can be mean? <laughs> um, and I've told her this. I was like, you showed me, I remember seeing the first video and being like, oh, she's so she's so mean. Yeah. And it was like, it, I kind of felt weird about it. And then later I was like, oh, she's so mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. that's a, that's an option. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think having the interests that we both have, like, you know, Sherry and, and I and, and Ron um, in like in the body and the yeah. shifts of the body and challenging the body, um, it made it really easy for, for collaboration together or just like, being around each other and talking about things and them telling me stories and and I mean you could go on a hike with Ron and he'll just tell you a story about a plant that he just knows the name of and the origin and the year it got here and like you know he's just the guy's so full of he's like the smartest fucking person I know mm -hmm. so and and it's really great to to hear stories of like of other daggers of other dykes and and I knew Dylan you know, um, she was she was a part of uh, I think Club Jesus in San Francisco, which was like a sister club of Club Fuck. Um, <laughs> you know that was happening here, um, and um, you know, radical queer femme, you know, knowledge goes a long way. Yeah. So, um, and it and I think that like I didn't have that type of. Um, connection with any of my biological aunts or um my family so much but and, and if I did I was missing that queer element of mm -hmm. my life and I needed to find other people like that so um you know I always looked for guidance through my elders even if I didn't agree with them right there doesn't have to be agreement. Mm -hmm. We can have different lived experiences and still benefit from each other's knowledge, each other's perspective. And it's, it is challenging, you know, like I think in this time right now in particular, and I don't really know, I mean, obviously it has to do with the larger climate and the real need for change. I mm -hmm. recognize yeah. that absolutely yeah. that there's like a pressing, urgent need for the status quo to change and to shift. Well, we also have like a generation that's wiped out. Yeah. So there's like, I feel like there's a bigger gap in there. Mm. There's like another generation that's like, that is missing. And I think we're all just sort of by design, yeah, actually. Yeah. And we're just yeah. trying to catch up. Um, but I think when it comes down to the one on one, it's the inability to see where the other person's coming from, you know, and, and what life looked like in their shoes, mm -hmm. because there are times when, you know, Elliot will hear somebody say something, um, an older gay man and Elliot's all plucked and just all her. And I was like, that person 
experienced a different type of pain than you. Mm -hmm. They might have said the wrong thing, but their intention was like, they just need to be educated. Mm -hmm. And you have either take the time to do that or, you know, just accept it. What I'm starting to realize as I'm getting older is that there's um, a way that things are... We grew up in a different world than our elders did. Yeah. And we grew up in a different world than the kids today grew up in. Yeah, absolutely. It's just different. Yep. Different yep. expectations. And so as we're becoming elders, we're like mid-elders. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it, it's a thing of um, we have to keep adjusting to the world as it's changing. Mm -hmm. But it, it's such a hard, everybody's trying to grow. And I think when you're the young generation, you're like, punching your way in and saying this is the new normal guys you know and but then you start becoming those people that the new ones are punching their way in and you're like but you don't understand the history and we grew up in this other world and then our elders grew up in a totally different world yeah. and and they're and like is absolutely punch. our responsibility also to re re like maintain some receptivity yeah to that new perspective that is right right so like it, it is like a give and take i mean i have to say that i get really excited like when i go to like a show or uh another queer night and i just see these this fucking talent yeah yeah talent like, and, and you know you can see the ones that are, are still trying to figure themselves out and there's uh -huh. the ones that just have fire and they're just yeah like, you know, they're out there and you're just like, yes, we need more of this. Yes. More of yeah. that. And I wonder if there were like middle-aged people when we were in our 20s going like, ooh, look at that one. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was. But it's hard to grow into being like the older generation because we have to adjust. But I'll say there's some things that I'm just so happy about that's coming up that I did not see coming. Like I remember being in the nineties thinking like, well, there's two choices and you should be able to choose either choice that you want, you know, it doesn't in terms matter. Of gender? In terms of gender. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. In terms of gender. And it's like, it doesn't matter what your genitals say and all this stuff. And now I'm like, oh, you can just do whatever the fuck you want. It just, I'll take a little of this and I'll take a little of that. And there or I, I am. not choose at all. I'm right? going like, to say none of the above. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, wow, it didn't even occur to me that that was an option. You know, I've thought about that as like my, as someone who's very rooted in my femme identity. Mm -hmm. Like what would it have been like to grow up in a world where, you know, things were really perceived as a, as a spectrum mm -hmm. and that they're like this non-binary perspective, like, would I have felt more comfortable exploring some other options or is part of it that like femme was really what was available to me? I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. How you never have have well, okay. I did. I got pushed into a butch phase in my very first relationship. Okay. And so like that was kind of our like queer, you know, we were like queer as fuck or whatever. And so part of that, I think, is like my partner was coming into their identity. Like they wanted to be in relationship in a way that reflected their identity back to them. So at a certain point, they started really striving towards more masculine of center people, like in terms of who they were attracted to, because there was something kind of heteronormative about this butch femme dynamic. And I, try, I did try it on and it was for them. 
you know, it wasn't something that was coming deeply from within yeah. me. And so it just did not work. And so when I got, when I, <laughs> when I moved oh, no. out of Portland and I moved back to Los Angeles and like, you know, seeing the whips mm-hmm. and just like, <gasps> I am allowed to be femme. Okay. Fuck this shit. I'm growing my hair out again. Like I'm just going for it. Right. Yeah. And that was where actually a lot of the like burlesque leanings came from was this kind of extreme pendulum swing back to like oh no you know what i'm gonna wear some fucking corsets <laughs> like fuck these t-shirts let's just crank it up a little fuck yeah these <laughs> <laughs> love it I, I mean i also see like the littles you know like my daughter who's seven she has a friend who's nine who's non-binary and just like seeing how she identifies that for herself. Like, I'm like, wow, this really blows my mind. And I'm so happy for these mm-hmm. kids mm-hmm. that they get to be having these conversations mm-hmm. with each other mm-hmm. and respecting each other and that it is not a fucking issue for anybody. It's not an issue, you know? And it's just like, that is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I've had my boys correct me on pronouns. <laughs> um, I'm wondering uh, how the impact of of Elliot going through and running for um Mr. First Precinct mm-hmm. and then going all the way up to IML, how that affected um you and I think the LA leather scene. Well maybe lay the scene a little bit too around like titles being very gendered. And and it was yeah. pre-pandemic also. Yeah. Yeah. Um and historically there is a, a a Mrs. contest and a Mr. contest. It's Mrs. not Ms. Miss. Sorry. Oh, okay. I'm d- I'm just wanting to clarify because I would be like, "What do you mean it's Mrs. <laughs> Are they married to Mr. Leather? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, but they do call themselves each other husband and wife. I mean, that's adorable. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So there is like you know within that that royalty, right? You know they they're like, oh, you know, or this one's a, a your grandmother. Uh-huh. This one's a, yeah. you know, uh-huh. a grandfather. All the family talk. All the, all, yeah. all the family talk. Yeah. Okay. Um, And then, you know, I think it was, uh, you know, now they have the mixed titles that are, you know, popping up, you know, internationally now. Uh, but What are the mixed titles where it's just any gender? Yeah, you can. Oh, great. Anybody can run. Um, and anybody who identifies as non-binary or trans. So it's a non-binary title. It's a non-binary title. But you can still run under... Mr. or Ms. Yeah, if you're trans and yeah, you know. Um, which that took a while to yeah. to to shift, you know, um, because there in every title system, there is always the um, uh, you know, the sexy look, the jock look, mm-hmm. the fantasy look, and all you know, so you have to be able to put these things on stage. Yeah. So um every it has like it's in conversation with fashion. Like with like beauty contests, yeah. I, thought, I mean, like I know with the America yeah, leather, yeah. yes. You, you people say, it's like a <clears throat> it's a leather pageant, and everybody's like it's a contest. Yes, no, I under I mean, I but, understand, but they're you know, they're in conversation. Like, it's like they're... tough ballroom. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> Without the um voguing and the split. <laughs> I don't know how they slam on the floor. Like I know. That. I um, knock myself out. But yeah, they, um, every bar, mostly every, like every leather bar has, you know, their bar title. Um, and they go compete within that bar. Mm-hmm. Once the bar, um, you know, that person wins, then you go and. Uh, and is that precinct? Yeah. Like, okay. 
the bar eagle. precinct yeah, the eagle has one too okay um uh so the bar was precinct and uh yeah ellie had no idea they were gonna win yeah. it was more like i just want to do this for fun i want to push myself and just be visible yeah somebody yeah um and then they won and then um they went into uh regional which was los angeles and it was the first um trans person to hit that stage mm -hmm. and the audience went nuts that's amazing went fucking nuts um i mean also the group that he, that he was with was just probably the fucking sweetest leatherman i've ever mm -hmm. met mm -hmm. that that class of folks were i think the most diverse the most fun the most like still connected till this day yeah like they're one of they have a really good connection with them and then won that and then went to iml you know international yeah um which is very difficult because that in itself is almost like a cult it's pretty crazy right yeah that's you know it was weird for them because like when they went precinct all these leather dudes just like got them together and did this crazy roar like really? it was yeah it was i was like wow <laughs> so elliot had a lot of support it sounds like from within the community going through that sort of because elliot was invisible was new yeah long history right, right didn't right, have right. long-standing history with with the with leather with leather at all did your standing help with that I don't think so. You know, I had very, very few connections. I mean, and it's going into a very cis male space. Mm -hmm. I mean, the leather titles were not, I mean, what you're describing now as like more kind of possibilities around the titles was not, this was 2018, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It just wasn't the case. Yeah. Compassion. I mean, you have the blue flag titles. The right. blue flag titles were the only like, yeah, we're yeah. mixed. Anybody can do be a book mm -hmm. flag. Yeah. Um, but that is so interesting also. Like that is a service right. role. And within the leather community, like women need to know their place. Like you can do this thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, there's a lot of misogyny there. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, like as someone who is attached to their being like, you know, queer women not losing visibility and like for that to still have some validity. Like I can understand how people get really attached to certain community spaces not changing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when it's rooted in like an oppressive system like the patriarchy, mm -hmm. it's like that shit needs to get shaken up. Yeah. yeah all, I, everything, all of it. We need to do the snow globe, yeah. situate everything and just you know there was i mean in like in leather history there was you know the catacombs uh in san francisco and then there was the avatar which is avatar still which is a leather club the oldest leather club uh in los angeles and it took a while for them to tell me that there was an actual women's like sister group called leather and lace mm -hmm. and that um they all leather and lace girls would always show up at avatar like parties for the first couple of years every like they were like you know always there and then i guess conflict rose up between between the 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 girls and i mean the guys were terrified of the women because yeah. they were like they were fucking players like they were hardcore fucking players they didn't it wasn't just sex it was like you know like they were really intense mm -hmm. and um I think I might have a video of one of the uh, original members of Avatar 
I think Sherry Rose was part uh, was part of Wuthering as well. Yeah, I think she might have some photographs, but um, you know, but just like um, you know, Exiles and other like women's other groups, they usually don't last after five years for whatever reason. You know, I think the longevity of Daiche has been such a really big thing. Like it's been the longest thing that I've I've ever researched. To, mm-hmm. to to still be existing okay. and outside of the exiles, which mm-hmm. is in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and like outside of groups like Dykes on Bikes, yeah, and some of the Dyke marches in San, but then again, York San Francisco and San Francisco have really, really persisted. But it's that's not true across the board. Yeah, right. Especially in Los Angeles. Los Angeles was the hardest thing to find, inter- like to research. Period. Mm-hmm. There isn't a lot of, of women's groups. Yeah. Well, and the two of you have like made multiple nights for for people like Shotgun and Cruise and everything. And that's been like such a wonderful outlet for the city. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that those events are like fundamentally queer and not necessarily like censuring, you know, queer women necessarily. Um, But yeah, I mean, I know certainly I, I didn't really grow up here and moved. I went to high school in Los Angeles, but moving back in the early 2000s, it was um, there was a dearth of, <laughs> you know, like queer spaces that weren't West Hollywood to go and like be with queer women. And so like, I do think that there was a rise of that um, in certainly the leather community and, and beyond, which was exciting to be a part of for sure. So Pony, what's coming up for you? What's going on? Anything you want to promote or tell us about, tell the listeners about? The aside from the Thomas Finland fashion show, a second location for folklore. You're working on a second salon, LBC. Well, congrats! So people can currently find folklore salon in Lincoln Heights, uh, Cypress Park. Cypress Park. Park. It's uh, three blocks from Everybody Gym. Okay, and and then it's a are... a wonderful queer yes. space and and barber queer affirming haircut yes mm-hmm. and you can get anything done well, there yeah <laughs> i've been going to folklore since it opened it's true <laughs> and so your second location is going to be in long beach wow that is amazing in a great location right you'll be near we up and yeah and in, in the yeah. gay district and yeah, the close to vintage in long beach where they paint their walkways with mm-hmm. rainbows yeah so we'll, we'll be we'll be a 10 minute walk from the lavender district and retro row in downtown that is fantastic i feel like that community is gonna just embrace folklore with a lot of enthusiasm yeah yeah and you're like i hope so i hope so <laughs> and, i'm gonna do my best and then you're doing cruise still right we're still doing cruise uh the uh, third third saturday of the month uh four to eight at the eagle and then we do some you know light parties here and there and we fundraise and yeah yeah and i can't wait to get play parties going again play parties i'm feeling post-pandemic i know it's not post but you know well, we, we want to get involved again. We just day. had the Off Sunset Festival, which is a leather festival right. in Silver Lake. Um, we are, uh, we'll be planning for next year. So I think it's going to stay in June. First and weekend. you're on the committee for that now. Yes, I am. 
You're a yeah. mover and a shaker. I think that's right. a great home for you. Yeah. yeah. I love It'll that. be fun. Well, thank you so much, Pony. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you, guys. We love you. I get all this attention from the two of you at the same time. Uh -huh. You're getting stared at from both ends. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, what a great chat we had with Pony. I think the thing that I really learned was how Pony is able to really carve out his space in the world. The world was not created for someone like Pony, mm -hmm. and he doesn't fit neatly into any category. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But it's so he's made his own space with folklore um, and and within the leather community with his leather family with his leather family really dissecting what works what doesn't work and how and using that kind of knowledge about the self and being open to hearing what other people are bringing and then working it out yeah I mean and I you know maybe this is like a next conversation to have with Pony because I do think um it hasn't always been this like linear journey. I mean, we've known Pony for a long time yeah. and there's been some messiness mm -hmm. to it too. And we didn't really get to talk about that. I mean, that wasn't the focus of the conversation, but like they have been willing to have those messy moments mm -hmm. in search of like their true path. And it's really, um, it's really interesting when you find people who kind of carve out that truly unique path for yeah. themselves you know the thing that I was reminded of that it hadn't even occurred to me um but as soon as we got into this context mm -hmm. of speaking into microphones together <laughs> I was like pony has the most gentle voice and so I would imagine that listeners who like don't have a visual for pony just like are like "Ooh, like <laughs> you know it's almost like is it called ASMR Yes. Like yes. Pony could do like read you bedtime stories. Yes. But Pony is like they mentioned briefly like uh they identify as a modified person. Yeah. They have a lot of body modification. Yeah. You know, face and head tattoos. Uh always a ridiculously cool haircut. Obviously they're always. a barber. Yeah, um, showing off the head tattoo. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and the piercing. Yes, and his and then there's this like gentleness that's also there. He's so he's a gentle bear, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I don't mean in the truth, but it just like that's the creature. Just like you know, seems gruff in a certain way, or if you don't um normally see that kind of presentation, it might seem like very tough. Yeah. And aggressive in a certain way, but Pony is one of the sweetest people I know. Yeah, they they are not a very aggressive person. There was a time, I'm sure it was an event that we were prepping for, and Pony and I were working together on it. And I just remember them like putting their hand on me. You know, we were in the hustle and bustle. I was probably stressed mm -hmm. because I leaned that direction, and they just put their hand on me, and it was like. I don't know if you've ever had Reiki. Done. I've never, but I've wanted to. But it's like 
there I was like whoa there's like healing in these hands and like if you've ever gone and gotten a haircut from pony and when they do like your like shampoo head massage you're just yeah. like you kind of melt yeah. I'm like this is what I come for yeah yeah so there's touch that, my head there's a real um there's a real sweetness there yeah no pony I know Aww. you ready for a wait what I am always ready There was a term that came up in this interview, Uh and I'm curious if you have heard it before. Ecosexuality. I don't know what it is. I made some assumptions in the conversation. I was like, yeah, sure, ecosexuality. (laughs) Um, But now that you're actually putting me on the hot seat, I I couldn't, I, I can tell you what I think it is. Okay, please. I would guess that ecosexuality is um, a way of engaging with your sexuality without harming the earth. Like so many, um, you know, we talk a lot about like, oh, silicone, non-porous, you know, is good for your body in that way. Um, But silicone's not necessarily great for the earth. Uh, A lot of the Mm -hmm. mechanics and everything that's in our toys, it's not great for the earth. And I think like if we're going to be, you know, true stewards of the earth, we need to start thinking about how all of the things that we love are created. And and is it actually doing us any good if we're also harming the earth at the same time? So uh, how right am I? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think that you're describing like an eco-friendly, I think you're you know, applying an eco-friendly lens. Yeah. But eco-sexuality is actually something that Annie Sprinkle, goddess, yes, the goddess, uh, created as a, like, her argument is that eco-sexual is an identity just as, like, heterosexual or queer or poly, whatever. Wow. And, um, uh, Annie Sprinkle and her wife Beth Stevens create a lot of art together and do a lot of work together and they are environmental activists and incorporate environmental issues into their work and it's always connected to sexuality but they have and you know it's okay let me say what ecosexuality is and then I'll give okay. my story um, ecosexuality involves seeing nature as a lover This implies that a relationship with the earth is two-sided and it therefore holds humans accountable for taking care of the planet. This challenges heteronormative ideals and redefines ideas of love, sexuality, and gender. Ecosexuality also falls under the umbrella of ecofeminism, which highlights how women and nature are treated similarly, mistreated Mm. in a patriarchal society. Wow. So it it is sort of asserting perhaps a feminine, there's, there's a little bit of like a femininity to, you know, the earth and uh, to nature in general. And part of, um, Annie and Beth's work uh they did this thing called the love art laboratory and part of their project was to do experimental art weddings each year wow and they did like 20 of these uh uh 21 art weddings 
They married the earth, the sky, the sea, the moon, the Appalachian Mountains, the sun, and other non-human entities in nine different countries. So they got, they got married to it. Not that they married the sky and the mountain. No, no, no. Like they married the sun. And they did these like big pieces around it as like a way to kind of bring attention to, I think, the universal, the universality of sexuality. And that connection to the element. Yes. And there was, so years ago, I did this interview series called Sex is Back. We interviewed over a hundred people. And I remember someone in that group identified as an ecosexual. Wow. And he was talking about- Is that the first time you heard about it? I had heard about Annie Sprinkle's work because she definitely is like a queer feminist icon, Um, you know, porn performer turned social commentary artist um and but I don't think I really knew her like thesis around ecosexuality so how I got introduced to it predominantly was through this interview of this um person describing like fairy community you know predominantly gay men who go out into nature and really derive a lot of sexual arousal from like touching the trees wow being like baking in the sun like taking it all in like the force of nature pulsing through their bodies and that being a source of like great sexual arousal for them and I was like, I love people. <laughs> wow. I mean, it yeah. just, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I think. It's like, people are fascinating. Yep. And where we, where we're able to experience our sexuality and with what, you know? So let's say you're a fairy sunbathing and then you're taking in all of that energy from the sun. You're feeling the grass underneath you the slight movements of the creatures underneath you and the growing Mm -hmm. plants and everything and then you experience the arousal you masturbate I you know what was described to me is that sometimes that pulsing energy is really what almost creates the orgasmic response and what it sounds like to me is just like um in intentional mindfulness yes actually like really just taking in the sensory experience yes. and it is amazing that we do have that ability in our mind and in our body just through breathing yeah noticing sensations that we can create a very high level of arousal in our body and so I don't even know that for some folks who really connect with nature in this way, that they even have to engage in a sexual right. act necessarily yes. to feel the, uh, you know, sexuality awaken within them to have very pleasurable experiences. I know, right? It's amazing. So I will say once, and this was inside, it was not out in nature. It was in the middle of Los Angeles. Once I brought myself to orgasm with my mind without Mm. touching my body. And I can understand in that way how if that is perceived as a sexual situation, sunbathing, touching trees, 
being out there, touching the the nature, um, getting your hands in the dirt. Yeah, getting a little dirty. Um, I can see how that could be highly arousing or even orgasmic without the more mammalian mm-hmm. forms of of sexual expression. That's yeah, fascinating. Well, and it brings up this thing of like when we just focus on the genitals and touch on the genitals, like our orgasms can stay very localized yeah. there and mm-hmm. that there is a lot of potential through touch over the whole body, through breath, through just, you know, focus and putting your attention on the sensations that you're feeling that you can create these really expansive pleasure experiences. I don't know that I've had anything um, had a instance of just being able to bring myself to orgasm without any touch, mm-hmm. but I am very curious if there is anybody out there, please, please tell us sexual. if this is something that you've experienced. And I think we absolutely have to get someone who identifies as an ecosexual on yes. the podcast. Yes. And ask them oh, a bunch of questions. Oh, I have so many questions. Yes. And if you are curious about this, look up Annie Sprinkle's work. You'll find that and so much more. Yes. It is a lifetime of active work in feminism mm-hmm. and sexuality. Yeah. That and, is and art and creation and all of it. And she's still there doing it. Yeah. It's unstoppable. Yep. Great. Well, please, if you um, let us know if you're an ecosexual, if you also love Annie Sprinkle, (laughs) if you're a leather daddy, or you, we'd love to know more about like uh, different kink families, different ways of carving out your space because there was no space provided for you. Mm -hmm. How did it go? What happened? We want to hear about it. Yeah. Be in touch. Share your fuck yes with yes. us you can find us at fuck yeah pod uh everywhere that you exist on the internet and thank you so much for tuning in Knocking them out of the park. Fuck Yeah podcast is produced and hosted by me, Sarah Tom Chesson, and Robin Jennings. Theme music is produced and performed by she, her, sir. You can find out more about what we're up to at fuckyeahpod.com or reach out directly at fyeahpod at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the pod, give us a hand. Rate review, subscribe, wherever you listen, and make sure to share it with a few friends. Thanks so much for tuning in.